as someone who works full-time with the commute and has a family to take care of, you don't have time or energy to devote hours in the kitchen trying to whip up dinner for the family. That's exactly why I created my ultimate kitchen guide for quick and easy meals. In this guide, you'll find a list of foods that you should have on hand in your kitchen on a regular basis, along with tips on how to put things together on your plate to create a balanced anti-inflammatory meal. Imagine a world where you can come home and whip up a healthy meal in like 20 to 30 minutes and still have time to kick your feet up on the couch and catch up on your shows before bed. Yes, it's not a dream. It's your new reality. All you have to do is head to www.betterwithcarbo.com forward slash guide and grab your free copy today. That's betterwithcarbo.com forward slash guide. Get ready for healthier meals with less kitchen stress. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Inflames in the Brain podcast. I'm Chrissy, your host and friendly neighborhood dietitian, and I really hope you're having a great Tuesday so far. I'm Chrissy Carbo, registered dietitian and host of the Inflames in the Brain podcast. Here we cut through the confusion and complexity of inflammatory health to deliver straightforward, bite-sized strategies and information you can easily apply to your life. Not too long ago, I was lost in a sea of information, overwhelmed by the challenges of inflammation. But through years of trial, education, and self-discovery, I learned to break free from the chaos of fad diets and cultivate a practical anti-inflammatory lifestyle that not only helped me stabilize my own diagnosis, but thrive with it. Whether you're an autoimmune warrior or simply seeking a healthier, uncomplicated life, you found your tribe. Join me as we explore realistic strategies that can make a profound difference in your life. So if you're ready to embrace a simpler, healthier way of living, you're in the right place, my friend. Let's dive in, learn, and grow together. Welcome to the Inflamed in the Brain podcast. Let's get started. I just want to start off by sharing that the other day I found myself in a bit of a pickle where it was like 5 p.m. I forgot to take out some protein to defrost for dinner. Arthur had to go to sleep in like two hours. I was tired and I really didn't feel like ordering takeout. The food options around me are pretty lame because I'm limited. All I have are a McDonald's and a Taco Bell and a Burger King. And I just don't find those restaurants appetizing. I have to drive about 30 minutes to get to my favorite food options. And ever since becoming a mom where all I do is calculate how much time I have to do stuff within Arthur's wake window, driving 30 minutes for dinner just makes me feel rushed. So anyway, there I was at this kind of crossroads where I'm thinking, what the hell can I make for dinner that's quick and easy? And I settle for breakfast. The way that I plan my dinners is thinking about protein first and breakfast is easiest because protein is always eggs, for me at least. If you ask me, I honestly consider eggs to be a superfood, not just because they're super nutrient dense, but because they're so versatile that you can cook them so many different ways. They're an amazing protein source and they cook so fast. Regardless of the meal, if you're using eggs as your protein source, your meal is going to be done in like five minutes. And yet, despite all of these amazing things about eggs, I think they're still considered like a taboo food where you have some people, myself included, who are super gung-ho about eggs. And then there's other people who are more iffy and skeptical because they've been told by so many people that they're unhealthy. And if they do have eggs, maybe they'll just have egg whites. I used to be one of those people that would just have egg whites. I was afraid of the fat content and cholesterol. 
But knowing what I know today, the whole egg and cholesterol conspiracy has become one of my favorite myths to debunk. The confusion around eggs also stems from the confusion around cholesterol. So I feel like I can't help you understand why eggs are an incredibly easy and healthy staple to add to your kitchen without clearing the air around cholesterol first. Cholesterol has been villainized because too much of it has been associated with plaque buildup in your arteries, which leads to heart disease, heart attacks, and strokes. Even the American Heart Association has been telling us for decades that we need to cut back on fat in order to reduce our risk of high cholesterol, including LDL cholesterol. But if this were true, then why is high cholesterol still such a significant issue? The CDC says as of 2020, about 86 million adults in the United States have high cholesterol and more than half of the adult population are taking medications to lower it. So obviously eating low fat isn't working and we need to do something different. So let's clear the confusion about cholesterol. It's not the bad guy that a lot of us make it out to be. It's actually really important for our health. Cholesterol is needed to make hormones. It's needed to produce bile so that we can digest fat properly and it's needed to form basic structures of our cell membranes. Think of a cell membrane as the wall to every cell in your body. If those are flimsy, it's like having a weak foundation, and that can lead to all sorts of issues, including inflammation. Cholesterol is also needed to help us make vitamin D, which is a super nutrient in our body because it does so many things, like keeping our bones strong to supporting our immune system, and even looking out for our brain and heart health. So bottom line, cholesterol isn't a troublemaker. It's actually a key player in keeping us in good shape. To prove just how important cholesterol is for our health, every single cell in your body can make cholesterol. This little fact is also why there's so much confusion around a dietary approach to lowering cholesterol. I remember when I was in school studying nutrition, I had a professor say that in order for us to lower our cholesterol, we need to eat less foods that come with a face, so animals because they have cholesterol. So we eat that cholesterol. But in the same sentence, it was said that that might not even be effective because our bodies make cholesterol. So then the question is, what actually is going to be effective in lowering cholesterol? Now, before we dive into the details, let's talk a little bit more about where cholesterol comes from. Cholesterol is produced through the breakdown of fats, a process known as beta oxidation, or from the breakdown of glucose in a process known glycolysis. Both of these processes serve one common goal, to provide our bodies with energy. Whether it's breaking down fats and carbs from food you've just eaten or it's tapping into your body's stores, these processes generate a molecule called acetyl-CoA. This molecule plays a crucial role in kicking off the cholesterol-making process. It transforms into another molecule called HMG-CoA, which stands for hydroxymethylglutarol-CoA. HMG-CoA does its thing with HMG-CoA reductase, an enzyme, to become mevalinate. And finally, from mevalinate, a series of reactions happen that eventually lead to the creation of cholesterol. In order for cholesterol to get around and do its thing, it needs to be carried through the bloodstream by LDL and HDL. A lot of us know LDL and HDL as the bad and good cholesterol, respectively, but these particles aren't cholesterol. They're lipoproteins, and their job is to carry cholesterol around the bloodstream, which is another important thing to remember. When we get our blood tests done and we see total cholesterol, a lot of people freak out thinking that they have all of this cholesterol in the body, in their blood. Total cholesterol, though, isn't actually measuring the amount of cholesterol in your blood because there is no cholesterol in your blood. 
Total cholesterol is actually measuring the amount of different kinds of lipoproteins in your blood that transport cholesterol. Now going back to LDL and HDL. LDL stands for low-density lipoprotein and HDL stands for high-density lipoprotein. Now LDL gets a bad rap because it carries the most cholesterol, but instead of looking at it as a bad lipoprotein, I look at it as the most efficient lipoprotein. LDL's job is to carry cholesterol to the liver to make bile and hormones, but it also functions to heal the inner lining of our arteries. But here's the catch. When our bodies are in an inflammatory state, LDL can become pretty problematic. If our blood vessels inner lining, aka endothelial cells, get damaged, LDL rushes to the damaged site to try and fix things. It's like a repair crew responding to the site of damage. However, if this happens too frequently, a type of white blood cell called monocyte arrives and tries to help out. These monocytes transform into macrophages and their aim is to heal the damage. But the trouble really begins when LDL penetrates the endothelial layer and it starts the healing process. Now, even though LDL is meant to help, when it's done helping, it's done its job, it becomes oxidized, so almost like a rusty nail. And macrophages step in like a Pac-Man. They literally look like a Pac-Man. So the macrophages come and they get rid of the oxidized particles by eating them. And they form what's called a foam cell. And these foam cells can become harder and larger and almost like popping. Well, not really popping, but like protruding out of the endothelial layer like a scab, which some people call it like a cap. Now, if the scabs break off due to blood flow, that's when you become really high risk for stroke. So in a nutshell, while LDL is doing its job of transporting cholesterol and helping out our arteries heal from damage, frequent damage can turn LDL into something that's more problematic. And we really have to understand that while high LDL levels are a sign of a problem, the problem isn't the LDL itself. There's something else going on that's causing tons of those LDL particles to respond and eventually turn into these scabby things. And what are those something else's that we need to be concerned about? Smoking, environmental toxins, stress, and nutrient-poor diets, specifically diets that are high in refined carbohydrates and problematic fats like hydrogenated oils and trans fats. Another caveat, though, to LDL is that we need to understand that there's a difference in LDL particle size. Size actually matters when it comes to testing LDL levels and risk for heart disease. Recent research tells us that LDL particles differ in size, density, and composition. We have some LDL particles that are small and others that are larger and fluffier. And evidence today tells us that small, dense LDL particles are more problematic to our heart health than large LDL particles. Large LDL particles are considered to be protective, actually, against heart disease, or at the very least, they're benign and won't cause us any harm. Think about your artery walls like windows, and small LDL particles are tiny rocks, and large LDL particles are like beach balls. If you throw a tiny rock at your window, you're more likely to crack and break the window as opposed to throwing a large beach ball. Large LDL particles are able to move through the arteries without causing damage, where the small LDL particles are easily oxidized and cause more damage. I have a whole other podcast where I talk about what happens when things become oxidized in our bodies, creating more oxidative stress, and I'll link to that in my show notes in case you're interested in learning more here. 
So with that said, what actually causes us to have more small LDL particles than large LDL particles? Well, recent studies show that fructose might actually be the ones messing with our LDL particle size, making them a bit smaller. And where do you find fructose? Well, it's actually the simplest form of carbohydrate, and it naturally hangs out in some food like honey, mangoes, and grapes. But before you vow to never have any fructose ever again, it's really important to put things in perspective here. And let's understand that people aren't getting heart disease from ODing on mangoes, grapes, and adding honey to their tea. The real trouble seems to be with processed foods, especially the ones that are loaded with high fructose corn syrup. These little processed goodies tend to be packed and concentrated with fructose, and that's where the connection to high cholesterol and heart disease seems to come into play. All of this to say, there's no reason not to have a whole egg, except if you're allergic or you just don't like eggs. But the big picture here, you shouldn't be afraid to have a whole egg. Whole eggs have actually been shown to not only lower the number of small LDL particles in our bodies, but they also increase the number of HDL particles that have actually been shown to be protective against heart disease. And let's not forget that eggs are also super rich in certain nutrients, even anti-inflammatory nutrients, that are really important for our bodies, like vitamin D, E, choline, folate. So I incorporate eggs in my everyday, literally. I have two to three eggs for breakfast and sometimes whatever Arthur doesn't finish. And when I find myself in a dinner pinch, I'll have two more scrambled eggs at dinner time, and I've never had an issue with my cholesterol. Another big takeaway here is to keep supporting your blood sugar. Sure, being mindful of high fructose intake is smart, but taking a more comprehensive approach to managing your blood sugar is not only crucial, but it may also be a more sustainable approach to supporting your cholesterol levels. I always stress about the importance of managing blood sugar for anti-inflammatory reasons, and as it turns out, it's also just as important if cholesterol is a concern to you. To make my point here, let's talk about statins. Statins are the medications that doctors prescribe if you have high cholesterol. And earlier, we talked about how HMG-CoA reductase is the enzyme that's involved in making cholesterol. Statins go after this enzyme to cut down on cholesterol production. But here's the connection. Insulin revs up HMG-CoA reductase. So if you're eating a high glycemic diet, causing your blood sugar to spike pretty frequently, you're also cranking up your insulin levels. And as we know now, that's like giving a green light to HMG-CoA reductase to make more cholesterol. So if you're eating a balanced diet that supports your blood sugar, you're likely not spiking your insulin levels, which means that you're not making more cholesterol than you need. So other than being ingredients list savvy and keeping an eye out for high fructose corn syrup, I really don't want you to stress about what foods have high fructose in it and go crazy removing all fructose from your diet, which I really think is probably impossible anyway. But think about what else needs to be added to your plate in order to balance it out. Does it need protein? Does it need fiber, fats? Not only will this make your lab tests look better, but balancing your plate makes taking care of your health an easier thing to do on a daily basis. I have a guide that'll help make creating balanced meals way easier for you, and you can grab your free copy at betterwithcarbo.com forward slash guide. So eggs are not only an amazing source of protein, but they can make your weekday dinner come together a lot faster and easier. And they're actually shown to be protective against heart disease and high cholesterol. So they're like a win-win-win in my book. One last thing that I want you to keep in mind if you are going to be enjoying eggs 
is to try to source them sustainably. The best eggs come from pasture-raised eggs. You can always tell the quality of the egg from the color of the yolk. Yolks should be a deep orange color, and you can see that when you buy pasture-raised eggs. Eggs that come from grain-fed chickens are typically yellow. I always think it's a little funny when you look at an egg carton and the egg cartons say that the chickens were fed an all-vegetarian diet. When chickens aren't vegetarian, they eat bugs and worms and they graze. And when we eat their yolks, we're reaping all of those nutritional benefits. So with that being said, I hope you walk away from our conversation today with more clarity about cholesterol and eggs. Fat cholesterol eggs are not the bad guys. If cholesterol is a concern for you, effort should be put into managing your blood sugar. And I'm here to help you every step of the way. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Don't forget to head over to betterwithcarbo.com forward slash guide to grab your free guide to quick and easy balanced eating. Please share this episode with a friend who could benefit from our chat today. And please, please leave a review and reach out to me. You can find me at betterwithcarbo on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our anti-inflammatory convos. Until next time, same time, same place.